It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader. Desperate Afghans ran alongside a US plane and tried to cling to it as it taxied to take off from Kabul airport. When Chinook helicopters couldn't clear the crowd, shots were heard. The plane eventually left. Some on social media claimed they saw people falling from it as it gained altitude. On the streets of Afghanistan's most populous city, six million people live there. The Taliban itself released this video showing calm traffic stops. But that's not what everyone's seeing. Pashtana Durrani spoke to BBC Breakfast. The immediate future, I mean, like, they're being very vague about it, to be honest. Like, you know, some places, they're very uh, nice to the people, and then there are places where they have been slitting throats. So I don't want to trust them, and I don't, I'm not trusting them for their word. As the chaos unfolded at the airport, the UK's Defence Secretary Ben Wallace appeared on Nick Ferrari's LBC show to explain the UK's response to the collapse of Afghanistan. But the former soldier struggled with his own emotions. It is a really deep part of regret for me. Um, some people won't get back. Some people won't get back. And um, we will have to uh, do our best in third countries to process those people. Why do you feel it so personally, Mr Wallace? Because <laughs> I'm a soldier. Um, because it's sad and the West has done what it's done. And we have to do our very best, Nick, to get people out and stand by our obligations and 20 years of sacrifice um, is what it is. I'm joined now by the Evening Standards Defence Editor Robert Fox and political correspondent Sophia Slay. Robert, it was only a few weeks ago that Joe Biden said it was highly unlikely the Taliban would take over Afghanistan. Well, here we are. Has this come as a surprise? I think America, uh, under both President Trump and President Biden, have been completely suckered. Uh, that Biden agreed to sign up to the agreement made by Trump behind the Afghan government's back with the Taliban in Doha in February last year, that America would go, the Taliban would come to a peace deal with Kabul, and everything would flow from that. You know, you might well think the moon was made of green cheese and pigs would fly. I think it's a very bad legacy. I think Biden himself actually has a lot to answer for, because when he was even vice president to Obama, a lot of bad policies and approaches 
tactics, plans and strategies came from that. It was already well launched. So, Sophia, if the US has been caught off guard, how is the UK reacting to events as things are unfolding in Kabul? So, um, I've actually just come out of a, a lobby briefing just now with the Prime Minister's spokesman. Um, and obviously, we, we know that the Prime Minister's already held one meeting of COBRA, but um, we found out that um, Boris Johnson was apparently, by the sounds of it, due to take a holiday. And the spokesman said that he was supposed to be taking a, a break at the start of the weekend, but um, he's had to go back to work because of this crisis. Parliament's going to be recalled on Wednesday, in which they're going to debate what's going on in Afghanistan. Um, I think a lot of critics um, are rightly pointing out what's the point now in Parliament being recalled. Um, It feels far too late. Um, The horse has very much bolted. And as you've seen, those awful, terrible scenes all over the weekend, the past few days, um, the Taliban is now in control of Afghanistan. It's a shame. I mean, there's big questions to be asked over this. Has there been a big sort of, you know, international... Um, failure of of security, you know, understanding how fragile the situation was. So we are where we are now, Robert. What has to happen next? It's quite an open question whether the Taliban regime and whatever that is, because I think it will be a coalition of a lot of factions, can actually run the whole country. And whether they've learned from the last time round when it was a truly dreadful and dysfunctional government from 1996 to 2001, whether they can run run a swept up, reasonably modern city with all the infrastructure, power, uh, electricity, water, sewage considerations of a place like Kabul, which is swelling with refugees up to about 6 million people, nearly uh, a fifth of the entire Afghan population. I think it's a very open question indeed. Will they be able to engage on international diplomacy? Should the UK be talking to them on a diplomatic level? That's an important question, actually. That was asked in lobby today to the Prime Minister's spokesman. He was asked if um, we're going, you know, the UK is going to have diplomatic relations with the Taliban. Um, and he, he sort of said, you know, it's important that, that all of us, all the international community kind of tell tell the Taliban that um, nobody wants Afghanistan to become a breeding ground for terror. And sort of when he was pressed on it, he said, well, you know, it's, it's too early to tell. But I think even talking about the Taliban in those terms, you know, leaving that open does suggest that they're going to be spoken about and spoken to in a different way that we've ever seen before. I mean, you know, channels are open with the Taliban. We, you know, we are talking to them through other states, but we are talking to them. Well, I think the immediate diplomatic contacts are those with the neighbourhood. And I think the neighbourhood who have been trying to engage them, namely particularly China and Russia, and above all, Iran. And another thing that comes with Iran is the problem of narcotics, huge outlet of narcotics. Both Afghanistan, particularly since the time I first went there in the late 1980s, uh, compared with now, as in Iran, it has a huge growing block of addicts. Add to that, you have a group of really heavy habitual users. I don't just mean a poppy of opium and uh, heroin, but also very, very heavy um, cannabis, resin, skunk and the like. So you've got something like 20 to 30 percent of the adult population on the stuff. And it's a huge uh, uh, problem which is being exported from Afghanistan. Was Afghanistan actually a working, functioning country, though, over the last 20 years? Well, yes and no. There were 
bad things. Uh, and I think it was a huge mistake on the part of the Americans and the British, who were very close to them. They tolerated far too much corruption, bad practice, and ret retrograde practice, like allowing a law which permitted rape in marriage under President Karzai. But what undoubtedly was a plus, that in that 20 years, a new literate class was being created. Uh, people who were kids in school, then students, then graduates who were very good at things like IT. There was a vibrant free press, genuinely free press, uh, in electronic media and in print. And of, school, uh, of course, we saw a tremendous uptake in schooling. Six, seven million girls going to school and, go, and graduating out of high school and aspiring to university, teaching hospitals. That is finished. It's year zero. And it's year zero in the way that Pol Pot's year uh, regime began in, in Cambodia all that way back, which led to the loss of a million lives. What's the UK presence on the ground there right now? Is there anybody still there from Britain? Yeah, well, we, we've sent a force out to try and help people get out. Um, I mean, it's an emergency situation there, desperately trying to process everyone. I mean, it sounds like the main problem isn't capacity of planes or anything like that. It's not, it's not the physical um, issue of getting people out. It's actually the kind of bureaucracy, the, the processes of trying to get people out. Um, you know, I, I think one person that should definitely be mentioned in this is um, our ambassador, Sir Laurie Bristow, who's out there at the moment on the ground and apparently he's literally checking through visa applications himself, trying to help these people get evacuated. Um, so, you know, good on him. Um, that, that reflects, I think, in my opinion, just how desperate this situation is. The UK says it will not be sending forces back. Do you think that will be the case? Will the UK, will the US eventually have to send troops back to Afghanistan or is that our involvement done? Well, what I'm fed up with, uh, having studied at, at, at college, there's too much history in this. I'm amazed that the very heavy upper end of our diplomatic community, our politicians, are reading lectures from history. They don't understand history. History doesn't go in straight lines. It moves in very, very different rhythms. So when I hear a politician opening his or her mouth and says, never again will we do this or that or the other, sell shares in, in that statement and very probably that politician. If we're going to see from Afghanistan one of these new wars of implosion, despair, destruction, migration, and exported extremism from it, which is now extremely likely in view of the international elements that are coming in on the back of Taliban, including Al-Qaeda and uh, Islamic State elements, we're, go we're going to have to be interested in them. Why are we going to have to be interested in them? Because they're going to be interested in us. And that's the leader. Check out standard.co.uk for more coverage of this story. Follow the live blog for breaking news. We're back tomorrow at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. 
Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.